Ether chapter 12. We learn that Ether appears on the scene as a prophet of God, even though his father, who should be the king, is in captivity. Ether would be the next in line to be king. And it came to pass that the days of Ether were in the days of Coriantumr. And Coriantumr was king over all the land. However, the usurper on the throne is named Coriantumr, a name very similar to that of Ether's father. And Ether was a prophet of the Lord. Wherefore Ether came forth in the days of Coriantumr, and began to prophesy unto the people, for he could not be restrained, because of the Spirit of the Lord which was in him. For he did cry from the morning even until the going down of the sun, exhorting the people to believe in God unto repentance, lest they should be destroyed, saying unto them that by faith all things are fulfilled. As a prophet of God, Ether went forth among the people with a spirit so powerful he could not be restrained. His message was equally strong. He declared that the Jaredites would be completely destroyed from the face of God's promised land if they did not repent. Wherefore, whoso believeth in God might with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope cometh of faith, maketh an anchor to the souls of men, which would make them sure and steadfast, always abounding at good works, being led to glorify God. And it came to pass that Ether did prophesy great and marvelous things unto the people, which they did not believe, because they saw them not. Ether made a promise to the people that they would be spared if they would accept the gospel and abound in good works because of their faith which God associated with the good news of the gospel. Tragically, however, the Jaredites ridiculed Ether because his prophecies were not accompanied by visible signs in which the people could believe. And now I, Moroni, would speak somewhat concerning these things. I would show unto the world that faith is things which are hoped for and not seen. Wherefore, dispute not because ye see not, for ye receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. It is obvious the people did not know the meaning of the word faith, and so Moroni provided an editorial comment setting forth the definition of faith as, quote, things which are hoped for but not seen, unquote. He also told the Jaredites that they could not expect signs in connection with their faith until their faith had been tested and proven. For it was by faith that Christ showed himself unto our fathers after he had risen from the dead. And he showed not himself unto them until after they had faith in him. Wherefore it must needs be that some had faith in him, for he showed himself not unto the world. Moroni knew that the Nephites would never have seen the resurrected Christ unless they had first demonstrated their faith. Those who had the faith got to see Jesus, but the unbelievers did not. But because of the faith of men, he has shown himself unto the world and glorified the name of the Father, and prepared a way that thereby others might be partakers of the heavenly gift, that they might hope for those things which they have not seen. Wherefore, ye may also have hope.
and be partakers of the gift, if ye will but have faith. But Moroni knew that those who had faith in Christ were allowed to see him after he was resurrected, and he promised the Jaredites that they could have the same privilege if they would just demonstrate that they had faith in Christ. Behold, it was by faith that they of old were called after the holy order of God. Wherefore by faith was the law of Moses given. But in the gift of his Son hath God prepared a more excellent way, and it is by faith that it hath been fulfilled. For if there be no faith among the children of men, God can do no miracle among them. Wherefore he showed not himself until after their faith. Moroni emphasizes that the gospel always requires a demonstration of faith before the people are allowed to enjoy the fruits of the gospel. This kind of faith was also true of those who wanted to hold the priesthood and be ordained after the holy order of God. It was true of those who wanted to have the law of Moses revealed. Moroni said that unless the fruits of this great faith become evident, God can do no miracle among them. The faith must be shown forth first. Behold, it was the faith of Alma and Amulek that caused the prison to tumble to the earth. Behold, it was the faith of Nephi and Lehi that wrought the change upon the Lamanites, that they were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Behold, it was the faith of Ammon and his brethren, which wrought so great a miracle among the Lamanites. Yea, and even all they who wrought miracles wrought them by faith, even those who were before Christ, and also those who were after. Moroni says it was the manifest faith of Alma and Amulek that caused the prison to fall and kill all of the leaders of the city of Ammonihah, so that only Alma and Amulek were able to come forth from the wreckage alive. He said it was this same kind of faith that allowed Nephi and Lehi, the sons of Helaman, to convert the Lamanites by the thousand, to baptize them and have the fire of the Holy Ghost rest upon them, even though they did not know what it was. This was also true of the amazing conversion of the Lamanites by Ammon and his brethren. In fact, Moroni says all miracles were the result of faith, both before the coming of Christ and after. And it was by faith that the three disciples obtained a promise that they should not taste of death, and they obtained not the promise until after their faith, and neither at any time hath any wrought miracles until after their faith. Wherefore they first believed in the Son of God. It was by this same faith that the three Nephites, who were disciples of Jesus, obtained a promise they would never taste of death. In fact, it has only been by faith in Jesus Christ that miracles have occurred at any time. And there were many whose faith was so exceeding strong, even before Christ came, who could not be kept from within the veil, but truly saw with their eyes the things which they had beheld with an eye of faith, and they were glad. And behold, we have seen in this record that one of these was the brother of Jared, for so great was his faith in God, that when God put forth his finger, he could not hide it from the sight of the brother of Jared because of his word which he had spoken unto him, 
which word he had obtained by faith. The most amazing example of faith was demonstrated by those who were able to penetrate the veil with their spiritual eyes and see the Savior even before his coming in the flesh. The first of these was the brother of Jared, who was able to see the finger of the Lord when he touched the stones. Jesus told the brother of Jared that since he had seen the Savior's finger without being quickened, the brother of Jared could be able to see all things in the spirit world. And after the brother of Jared had beheld the finger of the Lord, because of the promise which the brother of Jared had obtained by faith, the Lord could not withhold anything from his sight. Wherefore he showed him all things, for he could no longer be kept without the veil. And it is by faith that my fathers have obtained the promise that these things should come unto their brethren through the Gentiles. Therefore the Lord hath commanded me, yea, even Jesus Christ. And I said unto him, Lord, the Gentiles will mock at these things because of our weakness in writing. For, Lord, thou hast made us mighty in word by faith, but thou hast not made us mighty in writing. For thou hast made all this people, that they could speak much because of the Holy Ghost which thou hast given them. And thou hast made us that we could write but little because of the awkwardness of our hands. Behold, thou hast not made us mighty in writing like unto the brother of Jared. For thou madest him that the things which he wrote were mighty even as thou art, unto the overpowering of man to read them. Thou hast also made our words powerful and great, even that we cannot write them. Wherefore, when we write, we behold our weakness and stumble because of the placing of our words. And I fear, lest the Gentiles shall mock at our words. At this point, Moroni was fearful the Gentiles of the latter days would ridicule such great manifestations of faith. In fact, he was fearful the Gentiles of the latter days would mock these words. And when I had said this, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Fools mock, but they shall mourn. And my grace is sufficient for the meek, that they shall take no advantage of your weakness. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness, that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Behold, I will show unto the Gentiles their weakness, and I will show unto them that faith, hope, and charity bringeth unto me the fountain of all righteousness. The Lord interrupted Moroni and said he has the ability to humble the fools who might mock the sacred scriptures. However, if they humble themselves and exhibit sufficient faith, the Lord will make the weak writings of the Nephites radiate with power. And I, Moroni, having heard these words, was comforted, and said, O Lord, thy righteous will be done, for I know that thou workest unto the children of men according to their faith. For the brother of Jared said unto the mountain Zeran, Remove. 
and it was removed. And if he had not had faith, it would not have moved. Wherefore thou workest after men have faith. For thus didst thou manifest thyself unto thy disciples. For after they had faith, and did speak in thy name, thou didst show thyself unto them in great power. And I also remember that thou hast said that thou hast prepared a house for man, yea, even among the mansions of thy father, in which man might have a more excellent hope. Wherefore man must hope, or he cannot receive an inheritance in the place which thou hast prepared. The Lord has manifested himself to his disciples because of their faith, and assured them that there are mansions prepared for them in heaven. And again, I remember that thou hast said, that thou hast loved the world, even unto the laying down of thy life for the world, that thou mightest take it again to prepare a place for the children of men. And now I know that this love which thou hast had for the children of men is charity. Wherefore, except men shall have charity, they cannot inherit that place which thou hast prepared in the mansions of thy father. Wherefore I know by this thing which thou hast said, that if the Gentiles have not charity, because of our weakness, that thou wilt prove them, and take away their talent, yea, even that which they have received, and give unto them who shall have more abundantly. Moroni knows the great truth set forth in John 3 and 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to redeem the world. However, unless the Gentiles of the latter days have charity and accept the writings of the Nephites even in their weakness, then they will lose their ability to understand the gospel and it will be given to others. Thereupon Moroni prayed that the Lord would bless the Gentiles that they might receive the writings of the Nephites in a charitable manner. And it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord that he would give unto the Gentiles grace that they might have charity. And it came to pass that the Lord said unto me, If they have not charity, it mattereth not unto thee. Thou hast been faithful wherefore thy garments shall be made clean. And because thou hast seen thy weakness, thou shalt be made strong, even unto the sitting down in the place which I have prepared, in the mansions of my father. And now I, Moroni, bid farewell unto the Gentiles, yea, and also unto my brethren whom I love until we shall meet before the judgment seat of Christ, where all men shall know that my garments are not spotted with your blood. And then shall ye know that I have seen Jesus, and that he hath talked with me face to face, and that he told me in plain humility, even as a man telleth another in mine own language concerning these things. And only a few have I written because of my weakness in writing. The Lord had an interesting response to Moroni's petition. 
He said the Gentiles would have the free agency to react according to their own feelings, and Moroni should not worry about it if they do not accept the Nephite writings. The Lord said the important thing was for Moroni to bear his testimony so that the Gentiles would have no excuse. Moroni immediately responded by saying that he had a personal acquaintance with Jesus Christ and conversed with him as one person speaks to another. Moroni says he wishes he could tell the Gentiles all of the things the Savior had revealed to him, but he does not have the capacity to write it. And now, I would commend you to seek this Jesus of whom the prophets and apostles have written, that the grace of God the Father, and also the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost, which beareth record of them, may be and abide in you forever. Amen. In closing, he pleads with the Gentiles to seek after this wonderful Jesus about whom the prophets and apostles have so faithfully testified. Ether chapter 13. Now Moroni is anxious to bring the writings of Ether to a conclusion. He says, And now I, Moroni, proceed to finish my record concerning the destruction of the people of whom I have been writing. However, Moroni wants us to know how much knowledge Ether revealed to the Jaredites which they rejected completely. For behold, they rejected all the words of Ether, for he truly told them of all things from the beginning of man, and that after the waters had receded from off the face of this land, it became a choice land above all other lands, a chosen land of the Lord, wherefore the Lord would have that all men should serve him who dwell upon the face thereof. It is obvious that Ether told the Jaredites the highlights of the great prophetic history of the world, which was given to the brother of Jared. Ether commenced with the creation of the world and made it clear that the great flood covered the entire earth, but as the waters receded from what is now called the Western Hemisphere, the Lord set it aside as his promised land. He consecrated it as the land where the inhabitants must serve the Lord in righteousness. He said it would be on this land that the new Jerusalem would descend from heaven after the sanctification of the earth and that it was the place of the new Jerusalem which should come down out of heaven, and the holy sanctuary of the Lord. Behold, Ether saw the days of Christ, and he spake concerning a new Jerusalem upon this land, and he spake also concerning the house of Israel, and the Jerusalem from whence Lehi should come. After it should be destroyed, it should be built up again, a holy city unto the Lord. Wherefore it could not be a new Jerusalem, for it had been in a time of old. But it should be built up again, and become a holy city of the Lord. And it should be built unto the house of Israel. And that a new Jerusalem should be built upon this land, unto the remnant of the seed of Joseph, for which things there has been a type. Ether told the Jaredites about the ministry of Jesus Christ in the meridian of time, and that would be around 300 years after the extermination of the Jaredites. 
He even told them about Lehi coming to America, which had already occurred, but the Jaredites were unaware of the Nephites since the Nephites were in the land southward. Easton also referred to the building up of a new Jerusalem in the latter days, and that the promised land would become the inheritance of the seed of Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. For as Joseph brought his father down into the land of Egypt, even so he died there. Wherefore the Lord brought a remnant of the seed of Joseph out of the land of Jerusalem, that he might be merciful unto the seed of Joseph, that they should perish not, even as he was merciful unto the father of Joseph, that he should perish not. Wherefore, the remnant of the house of Joseph shall be built upon this land, and it shall be a land of their inheritance, and they shall build up a holy city unto the Lord, like unto the Jerusalem of old. And they shall no more be confounded, until the end come when the earth shall pass away. And there shall be a new heaven and a new earth, and they shall be like unto the old, save the old have passed away, and all things have become new. Ether knew that just as Joseph had gone down into Egypt and later saved all of Israel from starvation, so the seed of Joseph was later taken out of Jerusalem when Lehi came to America, so that Joseph's seed could be preserved. Furthermore, Ether said it would be the seed of Joseph who would build a new Jerusalem and prevail until the end of the earth when it would be sanctified and glorified. And then cometh the new Jerusalem, and blessed are they who dwell therein, for it is they whose garments are white through the blood of the Lamb. And they are they who are numbered among the remnant of the seed of Joseph, who were of the house of Israel. And then also cometh the Jerusalem of old, and the inhabitants thereof, blessed are they, for they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And they are they who were scattered and gathered in from the four quarters of the earth and from the north countries, and are partakers of the fulfilling of the covenant which God made with their father Abraham. And when these things come, bringeth to pass the scripture which saith, there are they who were first who shall be last, and there are they who were last who shall be first. During the sanctifying of the earth, the new Jerusalem and the old Jerusalem will both be caught up and preserved. Then both of these great cities of God will return, the new Jerusalem coming first, and then the old Jerusalem. This fulfills Christ's prophecy that the Jews who were the first to receive the gospel will be the last to come back to the glorified earth. And the house of Joseph, which received the gospel after the Jews, will be the first to return in the new Jerusalem when the earth is glorified. And I was about to write more, but I am forbidden. But great and marvelous were the prophecies of Ether, but they esteemed him as not and cast him out, and he hid himself in the cavity of a rock by day, and by night he went forth viewing the things which should come upon the people. And as he dwelt in the cavity of a rock, he made the remainder of this record, viewing the destructions which came upon the people by night. Once the Jaredite rejected Ether, he had to hide in a cave by day, and then go forth at night and record what was happening among the people. 
And it came to pass that in that same year in which he was cast out from among the people, there began to be a great war among the people. For there were many who rose up who were mighty men and sought to destroy Coriantumr by their secret plans of wickedness, of which hath been spoken. And now Coriantumr, having studied himself in all the arts of war and all the cunning of the world, wherefore he gave battle unto them who sought to destroy him. But he repented not, neither his fair sons nor daughters, neither the fair sons and daughters of Kohor, neither the fair sons and daughters of Korahor, and in fine, there were none of the fair sons and daughters upon the face of the whole earth who repented of their sins. Wherefore it came to pass that in the first year that Ether dwelt in the cavity of a rock, there were many people who were slain by the sword of those secret combinations, fighting against Coriantumr that they might obtain the kingdom. And it came to pass that the sons of Coriantumr fought much and bled much. It was right after Ether was rejected by the Jaredites that a great civil war broke out among them. The leader of the secret combinations were determined to overthrow Coriantumr, who had usurped the throne. But Coriantumr was a skilled warrior himself, and they could not overthrow him. Neither was the repentance among the clans of the prominent families such as Kohor and Korihor. But they all engaged in violent hand-to-hand combat in an effort to seize power over the people. For a whole year, Coriantumr resisted the secret combinations and others who tried to overthrow him. The record indicates that Coriantumr and his sons, quote, fought much and bled much. And in the second year, the word of the Lord came to Ether that he should go and prophesy unto Coriantumr, that if he would repent and all his household, the Lord would give unto him his kingdom and spare the people. Otherwise, they should be destroyed, and all his household, save it were himself. And he should only live to see the fulfilling of the prophecies, which had been spoken concerning another people receiving the land for their inheritance. And Coriantumr should receive a burial by them. And every soul should be destroyed, save it were Coriantumr. At this critical juncture, the Lord had Ether make a rather amazing proposal to Coriantumr. The king was told that if he would repent, the Lord would allow him to have the whole kingdom, and the people would be spared. However, Ether said that if Coriantumr did not repent, there would be such a slaughter among the people that Coriantumr would be the only survivor of the entire Jaredite empire. In fact, he would see the land taken over by another people who would replace the Jaredites and bury Coriantumr after his death. And it came to pass that Coriantumr repented not, neither his household, neither the people, and the wars ceased not. And they sought to kill Ether, but he fled from before them and hid again in the cavity of the rock. It turned out that Coriantumr did not repent, and neither did the people. They even tried to kill Ether, but he escaped and hid in a cave. And it came to pass that there arose up Sherid, and he also gave battle unto Coriantumr, and he did beat him, insomuch that in the third year he did bring him into captivity. 
and the sons of Coriantumr in the fourth year did beat Sherod, and did obtain the kingdom again unto their father. Now there began to be a war upon all the face of the land, every man with his band fighting for that which he desired. And there were robbers, and in fine all manner of wickedness upon all the face of the land. In the third year of the war a man rose up against Coriantumr named Sherod, and after a series of battles he did succeed in bringing Coriantumr into captivity. However, the sons of Coriantumr rallied a great force, and they rescued their father so that he once more became king. However, nothing was really settled, and the war continued between various factions and various parts of the land. The secret combination was particularly active during this period. And it came to pass that Coriantumr was exceedingly angry with Sherod, and he went against him with his armies to battle, and they did meet in great anger. And they did meet in the valley of Gilgal, and the battle became exceeding sore. And it came to pass that Sherod fought against him for the space of three days. And it came to pass that Coriantumr beat him, and did pursue him until he came to the plains of Heshlon. And it came to pass that Sherod gave him battle again upon the plains. And behold, he did beat Coriantumr, and drove him back again to the valley of Gilgal. Coriantumr engaged Sherod in a three-day battle, and at first it seemed as though Coriantumr was losing, but in a mighty military surge Coriantumr drove Sherod back and killed him. And Coriantumr gave Sherod battle again in the valley of Gilgal, in which he beat Sherod and slew him. And Sherod wounded Coriantumr in his thigh, that he did not go to battle again for the space of two years, in which time all the people upon the face of the land were shedding blood, and there was none to restrain them. However, before Sherod was killed, he severely wounded Coriantumr in the thigh, so Coriantumr did not go into battle again during the fifth and sixth years. Ether chapter 14 Now about this time a curse came upon the land which is referred to by Ether as follows. And now there began to be a great curse upon all the land because of the iniquity of the people, in which, if a man should lay his tool or his sword upon his shelf, or upon the place whither he would keep it, behold, upon the morrow he could not find it, so great was the curse upon the land. Wherefore every man did cleave unto that which was his own with his hands, and would not borrow, neither would he lend. And every man kept the hilt of his sword in his right hand, in the defense of his property and his own life, and of his wives and children. This curse of tools and weapons becoming slippery and disappearing created a sense of total insecurity in the land. Men did not dare to let their swords leave their hands lest it disappear or somehow slipped away. And now after the space of two years and after the death of Sherod, behold, there arose the brother of Sherod, and he gave battle unto Coriantumr, in which Coriantumr did beat him and did pursue him to the wilderness of Achish. And it came to pass that the brother of Sherod did give battle unto him in the wilderness of Achish, and the battle became exceeding sore, and many thousands fell by the sword. 
And it came to pass that Coriantumr did lay siege to the wilderness. And the brother of Sherod did march forth out of the wilderness by night, and slew a part of the army of Coriantumr, as they were drunken. And he came forth to the land of Moron, and placed himself upon the throne of Coriantumr. And it came to pass that Coriantumr dwelt with his army in the wilderness for the space of two years, in which he did receive great strength to his army. Apparently in the seventh year of the war, and after Coriantumr had recovered from the wound in his thigh, the brother of Sherid attacked Coriantumr, but Coriantumr prevailed and pursued the brother of Sherid into the wilderness of Achish. However, the brother of Sherid counterattacked while the army of Coriantumr was in a state of drunkenness and took over the throne of Coriantumr for what appears to have been a period of two years. Now the brother of Sherid, whose name was Gilead, also received great strength to his army because of secret combinations. And it came to pass that his high priest murdered him as he sat upon his throne. And it came to pass that one of the secret combinations murdered him in a secret pass, and obtained unto himself the kingdom, and his name was Lib. And Lib was a man of great stature, more than any other man among all the people. We learn that the brother of Sherid was named Gilead, and while both he and Coriantumr were building up their armies, the high priest of Gilead murdered him. This murder occurred while Gilead was on the throne, but soon afterwards the high priest was also murdered by a member of the secret combination. His name was Lib, and he was a giant of a man bigger than anyone in the kingdom. And it came to pass that in the first year of Lib, Coriantumr came up unto the land of Moran, and gave battle unto Lib. And it came to pass that he fought with Lib, in which Lib did smite upon his arm that he was wounded. Nevertheless, the army of Coriantumr did press forward upon Lib, that he fled to the borders upon the seashore. And it came to pass that Coriantumr pursued him, and Lib gave battle unto him upon the seashore. And it came to pass that Lib did smite the army of Coriantumr, that they fled again to the wilderness of Achish. And it came to pass that Lib did pursue him, until he came to the plains of Agosh. And Coriantumr had taken all the people with him, as he fled before Lib, in that quarter of the land whither he fled. The war among the Jaredites had now reached the ninth year. This is significant because all during these years God's prophet Ether was having to survive by living in caves and scrounging for food at night when it was safe to come out of hiding. When there were wars, he also had to survey the battlefield at night and search among the thousands who were killed to see if either of the opposing leaders had survived. We learn that in the first year of the reign of Lib, Coriantumr was wounded in the arm, but he and his army pursued Lib to the seashore. There the battle swung over in favor of Lib, but Coriantumr gathered the entire population to fight with him, and he finally succeeded in killing Lib. However, the giant leader of the satanic cult had barely expired when Lib's brother, named Shiz, whom we also assume to have been a member of the cult, rose up in his wrath to destroy Coriantumr. 
Shiz adopted a scorched earth policy. He burned every city and killed men, women, and children. The whole Jaredite population was terrified by the tactics of Shiz. As a result, the entire kingdom divided into one faction in favor of Shiz and the remainder in favor of Coyantomer. No one dared to be neutral. Every man knew that to choose the wrong side meant certain death. And when he had come to the plains of Agosh, he gave battle unto Lib, and he smote upon him until he died. Nevertheless the brother of Lib did come against Coriantumr in the stead thereof, and the battle became exceeding sore, in the which Coriantumr fled again before the army of the brother of Lib. Now the name of the brother of Lib was called Shiz. And it came to pass that Shiz pursued after Coriantumr, and he did overthrow many cities, and he did slay both women and children, and he did burn the cities. And there went a fear of Shiz throughout all the land. Yea, a cry went forth throughout the land. Who can stand before the army of Shiz? Behold, he sweepeth the earth before him. And it came to pass that the people began to flock together in armies throughout all the face of the land. And they were divided, and a part of them fled to the army of Shiz, and a part of them fled to the army of Coriantumr. And so great and lasting had been the war, and so long had been the scene of bloodshed and carnage, that the whole face of the land was covered with the bodies of the dead. The war was so devastating to the population of the Jaredites that the bodies of the dead were strewn all over the land. There were none available to bury the dead, and the stench of the decaying bodies was an affliction to the people both by day and by night. Shiz was determined to destroy Coriantumr, but the Lord revealed to Ether that he would survive. And so swift and speedy was the war, that there was none left to bury the dead. But they did march forth from the shedding of blood to the shedding of blood, leaving the bodies of both men, women, and children strewed upon the face of the land, to become a prey to the worms of the flesh, and the scent thereof went forth upon the face of the land, even upon all the face of the land. Wherefore the people became troubled by day and by night because of the scent thereof. Nevertheless, Shiz did not cease to pursue Coriantumr, for he had sworn to avenge himself upon Coriantumr of the blood of his brother who had been slain, and the word of the Lord which came to Ether that Coriantumr should not fall by the sword. Nevertheless, Shiz followed Coriantumr and his followers to the eastern seashore, where the two armies fought a life-and-death struggle for three days. In the end, Shiz began to lose confidence as his army crumbled away and he started to flee with the survivors. As they swept across the land, they slaughtered all who would not join them. And thus we see that the Lord did visit them in the fullness of his wrath and their wickedness and abominations had prepared a way for their everlasting destruction. And it came to pass that Shiz did pursue Coriantumr eastward, even to the borders of the seashore, and there he gave battle unto Shiz for the space of three days. And so terrible was the destruction among the armies of Shiz that the people began to be frightened and began to flee before the armies of Coriantumr, and they fled to the land of Korahor, and swept off the inhabitants before them, 
all them that would not join them. The two exhausted armies finally pitched their tents in two adjacent valleys and attempted to recoup themselves. However, Coyantmer finally assembled his troops on a hill nearby and challenged Shiz to come up and fight. Shiz tried three times to take this hill, but was unable to do so. Nevertheless, Coriantumr was so severely wounded and suffering from the loss of so much blood that he was carried from the battlefield as if he were dead. Shiz did not have the heart to continue the fight, but ordered his troops that had survived to return to their camp. And they pitched their tents in the valley of Korahor. And Coriantumr pitched his tents in the valley of Shur. Now the valley of Shur was near the hill Komnor. Wherefore Coriantumr did gather his armies together upon the hill Comnor, and did sound a trumpet unto the armies of Shiz to invite them forth to battle. And it came to pass that they came forth, but were driven again, and they came the second time, and they were driven again the second time. And it came to pass that they came again the third time, and the battle became exceeding sore. And it came to pass that Shiz smote upon Coriantumr, that he gave him many deep wounds, and Coriantumr, having lost his blood, fainted, and was carried away as though he were dead. Now the loss of men, women, and children on both sides was so great that Shiz commanded his people that they should not pursue the armies of Coriantumr, wherefore they returned to their camp. Ether Chapter 15 it is interesting that while Coriantumr was recovering from his near-death experience during the war with Chiz, he began reflecting on the warning he had received from the prophet Ether. Moroni wrote the following. And it came to pass when Coriantumr had recovered of his wounds, he began to remember the words which Ether had spoken unto him. He saw that there had been slain by the sword already nearly two millions of his people and he began to sorrow in his heart. Yea, there had been slain two millions of mighty men, and also their wives and their children. It is amazing that two million men had been slain who once stood in the ranks of Coriantumr. If we counted the wives and children, the figures would probably be over eight or ten million. A similar number would have undoubtedly been slain among those who considered themselves Coriantumr's enemies. He began to repent of the evil which he had done. He began to remember the words which had been spoken by the mouth of all the prophets, and he saw them that they were fulfilled thus far every whit, and his soul mourned and refused to be comforted. And it came to pass that he wrote an epistle unto Shiz, desiring him that he would spare the people, and he would give up the kingdom for the sake of the lives of the people. And it came to pass that when Shiz had received his epistle, he wrote an epistle unto Coriantumr, that if he would give himself up, that he might slay him with his own sword, that he would spare the lives of the people. As Coriantumr reflected on the words of Ether and contemplated the mammoth slaughter that had taken place among the people, a degree of repentance touched Coriantumr's heart. He therefore wrote a letter to Shiz which set forth a rather generous proposal. 
He said he was willing to surrender to Shiz, the entire kingdom of the Jaredites, if Shiz would forsake the war and establish peace throughout the land. But there was not the smallest iota of repentance in the satanic cult to which Shiz belonged. He wanted to avenge his brother's death and would only give up the policy of total war if Coriantumr would surrender to allow Shiz to slay him. It was as though Coriantumr was dealing with Satan himself. And it came to pass that the people repented not of their iniquity, and the people of Coriantumr were stirred up to anger against the people of Shiz, and the people of Shiz were stirred up to anger against the people of Coriantumr. Wherefore the people of Shiz did give battle unto the people of Coriantumr, and when Coriantumr saw that he was about to fall, he fled again before the people of Shiz. And it came to pass that he came to the waters of Ripliancum, which, by interpretation, is large, or to exceed all. Wherefore, when they came to these waters, they pitched their tents. And Shiz also pitched his tents near unto them, and therefore on the morrow they did come to battle. When the letter from Shiz arrived at the tent of Coriantumr, it outraged the people, and Shiz in turn promoted a wave of outrage among his people. Therefore Shiz launched a new war while Coriantumr was still trying to regain his strength from his wound of the last encounter. He therefore made no attempt to resist the new attack by Shiz, but fled to the shores of the Great Sea, which we assume to have been the Atlantic coast. And it came to pass that they fought an exceedingly sore battle, in which Coriantumr was wounded again, and he fainted with the loss of blood. The two armies appeared to have camped close together and began the next day to chop one another to pieces. The hand-to-hand -hand combat resulted in Coriantumr being severely wounded again, so that he fainted from the loss of blood. And it came to pass that the armies of Coriantumr did press upon the armies of Shiz that they beat them, that they caused them to flee before them. And they did flee southward, and did pitch their tents in a place which was called Ogath. Nevertheless, the army of Coriantumr raged against the army of Shiz and beat them so that they fled southward and did pitch their tents in a place called Ogath. Meanwhile, Coyantomer seems to have made a proposal to Shiz. Obviously, this genocidal war would be fought down to the last man, and so there appears to have been some kind of agreement that the two armies would gather their people together from every part of the land and then fight one another to the death. It was their intent to mobilize every human being in the land northward so that the hatred between them could be settled once and for all. The time limit appears to have been four years. It is amazing that Shiz had that much patience. In verse 11, we are told that Coriantumr chose as the gathering place for his supporters the hill Rima. Moroni says this is the same hill where his father Mormon had hidden up the Nephite records to the Lord some eight or nine hundred years after the annihilation of the Jaredites. In fact, the chapter heading for Ether 15 describes the hill Ramah as being identical with the hill Cumorah, and both hills appear to have been familiar to Moroni. And it came to pass that the army of Coriantumr did pitch their tents by the hill Ramah. And it was that same hill 
where my father Mormon did hide up the records unto the Lord, which were sacred. And it came to pass that they did gather together all the people upon all the face of the land who had not been slain, save it was Ether. And it came to pass that Ether did behold all the doings of the people. And he beheld that the people who were for Coriantumr were gathered together to the army of Coriantumr, and the people who were for Shiz were gathered together to the army of Shiz. Wherefore they were for the space of four years gathering together the people, that they might get all who were upon the face of the land, and that they might receive all the strength which it was possible that they could receive. And it came to pass that when they were all gathered together, every one to the army which he would, with their wives and their children, both men, women, and children, being armed with weapons of war, having shields and breastplates and headplates, and being clothed after the manner of war, they did march forth one against another to battle, and they fought all that day, and conquered not. And it came to pass that when it was night they were weary, and retired to their camps. And after they had retired to their camps, they took up a howling and a lamentation for the loss of the slain of their people. And so great were their cries, their howlings and lamentations, that they did rend the air exceedingly. And it came to pass that on the morrow they did go again to battle, and great and terrible was that day. Nevertheless, they conquered not. And when the night came, again they did rend the air with their cries and their howlings and their mournings for the loss of the slain of their people. The two armies fought savagely in two different encounters on two different days. Thousands were apparently killed, but nothing was settled with finality. And it came to pass that Coriantumr wrote again an epistle unto Shiz, desiring that he would not come again to battle, but that he would take the kingdom and spare the lives of the people. But behold, the Spirit of the Lord had ceased striving with them, and Satan had full power over the hearts of the people, for they were given up unto the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds, that they might be destroyed. Wherefore they went again to battle. Coriantumr pleaded with Shiz once more to accept the kingdom and declare an armistice, but Shiz was so filled with hatred and had such a passion for vengeance that he pressed his army into battle against Coriantumr once more. At the end of the day, neither side acknowledged defeat, and so both armies slept on their swords. The same thing happened the next day and the next. By nightfall, Coriantumr found out that from the many thousands he had mobilized in his army a few days before, there were now only 52 bleeding, wounded survivors. Just before darkness settled on the camp of Shiz, he found he had only 69 survivors. And it came to pass that they fought all that day, and when the night came, they slept upon their swords. And on the morrow they fought even until the night came, and when the night came, they were drunken with anger, even as a man who is drunken with wine. And they slept again upon their swords. And on the morrow they fought again. And when the night came, they had all fallen by the sword, save it were fifty and two of the people of Coriantumr, and sixty and nine of the people of Shiz. And it came to pass that they slept upon their swords that night. And on the morrow they fought again. 
and they contended in their might with their swords and with their shields all that day. And when the night came, there were thirty and two of the people of Shiz, and twenty and seven of the people of Coriantumr. And it came to pass that they ate and slept and prepared for death on the morrow. And they were large and mighty men as to the strength of men. The two armies fought with all their might the following day, so that by nightfall Shiz had thirty-two still on their feet, while Coriantumr had only twenty-seven. The record said every man knew his season of life was nearly over. It says they therefore, quote, ate and slept and prepared for death on the morrow, unquote. And it came to pass that they fought for the space of three hours, and they fainted with the loss of blood. And it came to pass that when the men of Coriantumr had received sufficient strength that they could walk, they were about to flee for their lives. But behold, Shiz arose, and also his men, and he swore in his wrath that he would slay Coriantumr, or he would perish by the sword. Wherefore he did pursue them, and on the morrow he did overtake them, and they fought again with the sword. And it came to pass that when they had all fallen by the sword, save it were Coriantumr and Shiz, behold, Shiz had fainted with a loss of blood. And it came to pass that when Coriantumr had leaned upon his sword, that he rested a little, he smote off the head of Shiz. And it came to pass that after he had smitten off the head of Shiz, that Shiz raised upon his hands and fell. And after that he had struggled for breath, he died. But death did not come immediately. After three more hours of desperate fighting, every man fainted from the loss of blood or died. However, Coyantumr's men regained consciousness first and awakened one another so they could flee. But the survivors of the army of Shiz caught up with them, and the stabbing and slashing continued. In a while, there were only two men left alive. One was Coyantumr, and the other was Shiz. However, Shiz was unconscious from the loss of blood. Therefore, Coriantumr arose, leaned on his sword to gain his strength, and then beheaded Shiz. But an amazing thing happened. The brain of Shiz was so filled with hatred and determination that the headless corpse rose on its hands before it finally collapsed in the dirt. This scene is portrayed in Volume 4 of our text, page 240. And it came to pass that Coriantumr fell to the earth and became as if he had no life. Coriantumr's effort to strike off the head of Shiz was all the strength he had left. After seeing Shiz struggle helplessly, Coriantumr knew it was all over and he collapsed into unconsciousness. Of course, this is not quite the end of the story either for Coriantumr or Ether the prophet. Even though Ether finished his record, he did not make contact with the last surviving Jaredite besides himself. He knew that since the Lord had said Coriantumr would be the last survivor of the Jaredites, something would have to happen to Ether that would leave Coriantumr, the lone survivor, to fulfill the lonely assignment predicted in Ether chapter 13, verse 21. And the Lord spake unto Ether, and said unto him, Go forth. 
And he went forth and beheld that the words of the Lord had all been fulfilled. And he finished his record, and the hundredth part I have not written. And he hid them in a manner that the people of Limhi did find them. Now the last words which are written by Ether are these, Whether the Lord will that I be translated, or that I suffer the will of the Lord in the flesh, it mattereth not, if it so be that I am saved in the kingdom of God. Amen. Meanwhile the Lord told Ether to write up the final summary of all that had happened, and having done this, Ether's last words were, quote, whether the Lord will that I be translated, or that I suffer the will of the Lord in the flesh by natural death, it mattereth not, if it so be that I am saved in the kingdom of God. Meanwhile, what happened to Coriantumr? After slowly nursing himself back to some degree of health and strength, Coriantumr began his search for some other living human being that may have escaped the catastrophic civil war. We learn from the book of Omni, verse 21, that he trekked the whole length of the land northward until he reached the narrow neck of land which led to the land southward. At that point he carved his own history on a huge flat stone and then wandered down into the region occupied by the Mulekites, who had been led to America shortly after the Nephites had established themselves further south. Coriantumr lived another nine months, but he did not learn the Hebrew of the Mulekites, nor did they learn to communicate with Coriantumr. Nevertheless, the Mulekites discovered the large flat stone on which Coriantumr had carved his biography. Later, this biography was translated by Mosiah II with the help of the Urim and Thummim. And interestingly enough, he had just recently received it after the end of Ether's career as the prophet of the Jaredites. From this sketchy outline, it is apparent that someday we will get the exciting details of the final days of both Ether and Coriantumr. If you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.